Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into a brand new edition of Believe in Hills Hoops here on the Believe Podcast Networks, brought to you by Bet Online. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by the Tar Heel Tribune's R.L. Bynum, dedicated to all things North Carolina Tar Heels hoops. And of course, we had a huge game last night. Going to give you a recap. North Carolina with a huge 67 54 win over NC State, over at PNC Arena, over in Raleigh. Uh, Carolina moves to 12 and 3, 4 0 in the conference overall, um, and takes a, the top spot in the ACC. Going into the weekend, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the game, what we liked, and we're going to get to this whole, should NC State be considered the same level of rival as, uh, say, a Duke when it comes to North Carolina and hoops? So, uh, Arlo, what's up, man? How you been doing today? Doing good. Uh, that, that was an interesting game last night, that's for sure. Best I could tell from the hockey press box. I was going to say, it's almost like a hockey game. <laughs> the way yeah, it's happening, that's huh? true. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I had to admit, uh, I was wondering if it was just going to be DJ Burns all night, the way they were kind of in the first half, they literally just giving it to him and he was clearing everybody out. And then he would just back people. Down. Well, he's backing Armando down. Um, and then they kind of figured out what to do with him um, in the second half. And it looked like he's got to get tired. And at that point, I think maybe from them feeding him and never got their shooters going and it just all kind of fell apart for NC state. Um, just a quick look at the box score, uh, 67, 54, Carolina outscored them both halves. Um, they only shot like, what did I see? Like 20 something percent from the three. I can't right. Uh, yeah. They're just the latest uh, team to, to not shoot well from three. I mean, state shot 23.9%. It's the worst they've done against Carolina in at least 70 years. So that's, that's, that's okay. kind of historically bad, obviously. Uh, and, you know, it's crazy, too, because if you're a Carolina fan, you're kind of used to us not playing perimeter defense as well as we probably should. And that goes from, you know, Hubert to Roy to, you know, even going back to Dean. He's had he had teams where maybe they should have played a little bit better perimeter defense, but they, they kind of packed it in. Roy's teams had that problem a lot. I seem to recall where they could not defend the three. Hubert's teams are well, this team in particular seems to be very good at defending the three-point line. So we'll get into that and, and a little bit more here. Thanks to everybody joining us here, uh, all Tar Heel fans, ACC fans, or war, uh, to celebrate the, the win from last night. Before we go any further, though, quick word from our sponsors over at Bet Online With the NFL playoffs right around the corner and NBA season in full swing, Bet Online has you covered with all the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action and see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, 
to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And again, we start off with number eight, North Carolina's road win. All, all four wins on the road, right? In the ACC so far. Right. Which uh, is number seven, actually. Number, oh, did they move up to seven? Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So they moved up to seven. And to be honest, it was a wild two days in college basketball. Like, do you think they might be a top four team when we get to Monday? Well, if Car- certainly if Carolina beats Syracuse, uh, they should be top five considering number one, number two, number three, and number five all lost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the opportunity is certainly there. Uh, and unlike uh, the beginning of last season when that team didn't earn a number one ranking, if it gets there, they will have earned it. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, I think they're four and two in top twenty-five matchups right now, and they've got I think three quad one runs already. Um, it's just a different team. It's it, it's it's strange for me because I guess we were all kind of in this malaise for a little bit where Carolina fans aren't used to being there. Where I almost equate it to Steeler fans, where you know people roll their eyes whenever a Steeler fan is like, "Oh gosh, look at the Steelers. We're not going to do anything." We're like, "You've been great for forty-five years." <laughs> like, I mean, it's okay. You're going to have one year where it's all right. Carolina fans, we're probably the same way. We're spoiled a little bit. We're used to winning twenty-something games and getting to at least a Sweet Sixteen. And there's a level of excellence we're used to having. Past couple of years. I think that kind of slipped a little bit where we didn't know what we were uh, adding COVID NIL, coaching change, all these things. And it's like, well, what are we? I think they're really getting back. I think Hubert's made a concentrated effort to get back to Carolina basketball. Cause when I watch them, I don't feel like I'm trying to explain. I go into each game now, especially the past three or four games, expecting them to win regardless of what's going on in the second half where I feel like they're going to figure it out. And, and each time they have, like, they come out in the second half and unlike the Caleb Love, R.J. Davis, Armando teams from the past couple of years where they might get out to a lead early and then have to hang on or, or they wouldn't be able to because they didn't have the horses. This team has the horses. They have the shot-making ability. They can play the defense. They have multiple alpha dudes that can kind of take over a game. Armando didn't even have a great game last night. It was, you know, Harrison Ingram broke the record of uh, rebounds against NC State that Armando and uh, who was it? Uh, Billy Cunningham. Uh, so he had 19 uh, rebounds last night against his team. Um, and Carolina is off to their first 4 0 start since uh, 2015 16 season. Uh, and we all know they made it to the Final Four. Uh, there, That was the Bryce Johnson, Marcus Page senior year. So they're doing, doing really good stuff. Who was a player that stood out to you last night watching that game? Because it feels like it's a different kid each time. Well, I, I guess it's got to be Harrison Ingram. My goodness, nineteen rebounds—that's amazing. That's uh, crazy, yeah. <laughs> just, uh, and and you know, I couldn't help when I saw him uh, jumping into the first row for a loose ball. It reminded me of Phil Ford uh, doing that in the seventies. Uh, uh, he, he he's just the the kind of player that uh, Carolina basketball fans, maybe of my age, are are, are uh, accustomed to and and really enjoy watching. I mean, he does everything well he's intense and he's really personable if you see him in interviews as well mm-hmm. so, yeah I'd, i would say harris ingram but i'd also say elliot cadeau his aggressiveness in the second half if he can bottle that up and do that every game that'll bring another element to carolina that's kind of been missing 
because he was creating shots inside for others. And, you know, offensively is, is, is the, is the one area where Carolina still needs to improve their, their uh, defense has been elite. Their rebounding has been elite, but the, the offense lately has not been, yeah. uh, you know, without rebounding and defense, they're one of the best teams in the country. If they can figure it out on offense, they're clearly a national championship contender. And uh, Mondo needs to play more like he was two years ago. That would help. But uh, And RJ obviously didn't shoot quite as well. But I think uh, you know, one of the keys would be Elliot Cadeau playing more like he did in the second half last night. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would also agree with Harrison Ingram from last night, probably be my player uh, as well. Um, I was talking to a friend about uh, how this roster is made up and, I, and I've been saying it. I was like, Hubert went to the portal and built a Dean Smith roster. And he was like, no, it's more like a Roy Smith roster. I mean, a Roy Williams roster. I'm like, no, Roy Williams rosters were like Dean Smith rosters, but he was using two big men at, on the floor at the same time at all times that could run, you know, like think Tyler Zeller, uh, John Henson types at power forward. Harrison Ingram is a Dean Smith power forward. He's a Antoine Jameson, J.R. Reed, James Worthy type of guy, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, utility, can post, can shoot, do a little, run the break. That's that's a Dean Smith power forward. And like the way the lineup is set up, plus two, uh, I was thinking about last night watching him play. Hubert's running 10 dudes like every game. Like Zayden High is getting minutes. <laughs> and I wasn't expecting him to get minutes. He's kind of an energy dude. And he's finding a way to get on the floor. And with him out there, that's 10 guys that he's running pretty much with a role every game. And uh, that's Dean, too. Because by this point, would you agree? By this point in January, Roy would have cut his rotation down to about eight guys, maybe sure. nine if he had one. But probably about, he would have cut it. He, now, early non-conference, Roy's running 12, 13 dudes. <laughs> like all these tournaments, he's running everybody. But by the time we get to conference play, he's kind of willed it down to about eight. <clears throat> Hubert's running about 10 pretty pretty much every game and i love to see it it's a throwback to me um like i said i've been carolina fan since i was born and i I remember the dean squads where it was like you would have dudes that come off the bench that are like you know who like a a a luke may type of player that comes out of nowhere that's like who is this guy like why is he here and he's good for six points at night he's gonna scramble he's gonna get steel he's gonna play defense and play tough and He's got like three or four of those guys coming off the bench. So this team is different. Last night was the first night, really, even after like the Kentucky game and uh, the Tennessee game and all those games, I still wasn't completely convinced yet. After watching them last night, I'm like, I think they're a national title contender. Like, considering yeah, I mean, it's around the, them, you know? The, the roles of the reserves, they are clear now. Last season, it was extremely muddled. Yeah. And it really seems to me that Hubert Davis trusts his bench players more than he trusted them last season. Oh yeah. (laughs) This season, if a starter or or top six guy, including uh, Trimble has a bad stretch, he's quicker to sub that guy out this year than last year because he trusts them. And, and that, that's a, that's a huge difference. And, and, and as far as the roles, I think that's a big difference too. All the guys who transferred, they never knew when they were going to play. Sometimes mm-hmm. it, 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 it was just muddled and confusing, and you couldn't predict it. It's it's a little more predictable now as to as to how the rotation is going to go. 
And I think if everybody knows what to expect, it's it's going to make it easier for everybody. And and no and nothing against the players that got you know transferred out, but none of them that I can think of are really making you know a huge mark wherever they are. I know Dontre Styles was playing pretty well at Georgetown at the beginning of the year. I haven't really heard a lot about him since the very very beginning. But other than that, like I mean, everyone was all like, "Oh, why couldn't you use these players? Why didn't you use this bench?" Because they they weren't that good. <laughs> I mean, like they well, weren't his players. Like you know. <laughs> With the exception of last night, uh, Tyler Nickel had uh, career highs in points. I think and it was Tyler 24, yeah. Yeah. three-pointers. I think it was five. And helping Virginia Tech upset Clemson. Uh, he, some of those transfers have had big games, but none have been really consistent other than Caleb Love. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, Caleb Love, of course. But, like – I don't know. It's just, there's a different level of what came in and what went out, and actually makes me feel better about the future because I was always I was always on record before Hubert was hired. I was like Hubert was brought here to be groomed to be the head coach. Like to me, it was apparent. Like this is the plan that Roy has in his head. He may not have told anybody, but that's the reason why he's here. That's the reason why Hubert has stayed here as an assistant for eight, nine, ten years or whatnot. He's being groomed to be the next one, and when he gets it, he's going to be it for 15, 18 years, just like Roy is, and. It, I don't know. It just kind of felt like I'm trying to figure out like what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> it just kind of felt like he, he knew what he wanted when he went into the portal and came out with exactly what he wanted. Ingram being the biggest prize apparently, because nobody really knew he was gonna play like this, but uh, maybe Hubert and Cormac seems like he's coming out of his slump a little bit. He had a couple of threes early in the first half uh, kind of set the tone. Uh, for me, the biggest thing in this game was the free throw shooting in the second half. Uh, Carolina only shot a couple of free throws uh, in the first half. And then in the second half, it felt like they were up at the line like every 45 seconds. Um, and that's because that, they made a concerted effort, though. And and that wasn't just the referees deciding to call fouls. Right. Uh, it was because, uh, as Hubert Davis said, after the game, he told the team that they need to attack inside more. And that's what they did. And they drew a lot of fouls. I mean, they went to the bonus with 10 minutes left. And uh, as as good as Carolina is at free throw shooting, that's huge. And and it was during that time that Carolina pulled away. Uh, and, and the other part is NC State, uh, game, by, uh, game after game, fouls as much as anybody in the league. So – you figured that once Carolina got in the bonus, it was it was going to get easy, and it certainly did. Yeah. So I mean, they won. So they won this game by double digits, um, 67-54. So they won by thirteen. Uh, they beat Clemson by ten. They won by thirteen at Pitt, and so it's like the their, their, the three home or the three road games that they've had. They've won by double digits uh, in the ACC. It, that doesn't happen very often. Um, so it's like I'm just really comfortable with where they are uh right now as a team and then they're going to go see Syracuse uh or Syracuse is going to come see them on Saturday uh NC State plays Louisville uh Louisville um did they beat Miami last night it's all right right that was a big yeah. surprise yeah what in the world <laughs> like, what are you what are your thoughts RL real quick before we go over into this rivalry conversation real quick what are your thoughts on the rest of the ACC because we went to the beginning of the week and I was kind of halfway rooting for Wake to stay hot because they were three and zero two. They ended up losing to FSU, and that kind of snuffed the, the the sparkle a little bit. But they're still right there at the top of the standings. Duke feels like they've kind of figured some things out. 
uh, hey, let's give the ball to Filipowski. Like that, it feels like they finally understood <laughs> hey, this is our best chance right here. Let's give it to that guy. So Duke is kind of rounding the form. Of course, we've talked about Carolina. And then there's like this hodgepodge in the middle of like Miami, Virginia, uh, Clemson. What are your thoughts of the middle pack there? Because I feel like they're weighing the, the conference down a little bit by falling to like teams like Notre Dame and and, and Louisville. Right. And, and it's 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 not going to help Carolina, uh, Carolina or other uh, upper level teams in the league when Selection Sunday comes uh, either. Yeah. And you look at the three, you know, it, it, uh, Carolina's forward in the league. But the last three, you look at Pittsburgh, they might make the NIT. You look at Clemson, uh, they seem to be strong early, but in, in the last couple of games, you kind of wonder. Never trust Clemson. NC State, NC State came into the game for the same record as Carolina, but with a much, much easier schedule. So you really don't know how good they were. It's the first time I've seen them in person, and I wasn't very impressed. Yeah, so, I wasn't uh, <laughs> They came out kind of saucy first half. I was like, why are they shooting so many threes? They're like 11th in the league in threes. Like, why do they keep shooting? They were like one for 11 or something at one, or no, 0 for 11 or something at one point. It's like, why do they keep shooting threes? They don't have to do this against Carolina. And Carolina was defending it really well, too. And they just kept trying to shoot threes. And I, in the second half, I feel like they kind of got away from some of that. I think they went to the DJ Burnswell a little too much. Um, he was kind of feeling himself. But there was one sequence where uh, Baycott was out. And uh, to your point, Baycott got in foul trouble early trying to guard Burns. And, and to be honest, there, there really wasn't anything Baycott could do on the two fouls he got. Like he was playing defense and just basically held his ground and uh, foul. Foul number two. Flagrant foul also. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. If you look at that on the replay, like my man did an excellent flop. Because, uh, I mean, he made it look like Thanos threw him <laughs> like through a wall or whatever. And he's like, oh. But, uh, no, nah, DJ, um, look, he got tired. They started to send a, a double over in the second, which is I was surprised that they didn't do in the first half. It would have probably saved Armando a foul, but Armando probably was like, nah, I got him. DJ Burns turned he's like twice the size of Vacott, like with <laughs> like wise. Like Mondo he, looks so small next to him. It's crazy, isn't it? Like it's like what he's like backing Armando down. How many dudes in college basketball can back down Armando Vacott? Like with ease. He was doing it like like 2000 Lakers shack. <laughs> like just yeah, boom, I mean, Bondo, Bondo even said last night in the dressing room, he said, he's the only guy in college basketball that can do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he knows it too. And he was like, there was a sequence where uh, Armando was out with the foul trouble in the first half and Jalen Washington was in. And it was like the first play that state had the ball with Washington in there and Burns saw it. And he was just, he, he could not contain himself. And he was asking for the ball. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. He finally got it. And they, they turned it over or something happened. I think uh, one of the Carolina players knocked it out off of him out of bounds or something. But he was so eager to get it because he was like, if I can back down Armando Baycott, I'm about to back down Jalen Washington like it's like a pack of matches. <laughs> like I'm literally about to just plow through this dude. And uh, he didn't really have the same success on Washington, uh, which is strange. He never really got a chance to do that same back. That Washington never really let him do it. And the defense kind of changed. So kudos to Hubert and the boys for uh, getting out of Raleigh. Um, I, I do want to address the whole I've been hearing leading up to the game that Carolina NC State should actually be the true rivalry in the state because of their history uh, and things of that sort. But it's Carolina Duke, right? Like it's not I mean, this is not 1974. It's 
I get it back then. Back then it was Carolina versus somebody like all the time. It was Carolina State or Carolina, Maryland or Carolina, uh, you know, whoever. But Carolina, Virginia, like it was always somebody. It was Carolina versus somebody. It didn't really become Duke Carolina the way we see it now, in my opinion, until the 89 ACC final. And if you look at the timeline from that point on, then you've got the, what you have today is Duke Carolina, ESPN, all that stuff. Before that, that's really K kind of building Duke and Dean dominating the ACC. So it wasn't really, you know, Duke Carolina like we know it today. Like when I was a little kid, when I was six, seven years old, I didn't think of Duke as an equal to Carolina. Like that, that was 1984, you know, like Duke, what? <laughs> like that was the, the team you laughed at. They, they were the bottom of the league. But by the time we got to 89, yeah, yeah, they're getting there. And by the time we got to the mid-90s, like, yeah, they're here. But State, State hasn't been at that level since the 80s, (laughs) the (laughs) mid-80s. I mean, that's not – I don't mean to laugh, but that's true. Like, they haven't really been at the same national relevant level as Carolina since then, right? Right, and, and uh, Andrew Carter, the News Observer, tweeted this uh, earlier today that uh, Carolina is t- nineteen and six against State in PNC Arena, and it kind of tells you when it shifted. He noted that uh, it was twenty nine wins apiece at Reynolds Coliseum, mm. so I guess it kind of corresponds with shifting to uh, PNC Arena. Maybe they should but, start uh, playing Carolina and Reynolds again. Yeah, but you know, if your name isn't Roy Williams, uh, Duke Duke is a much bigger rival in bas- in men's basketball uh, than NC State. It's little the opposite in women's basketball, but for men's basketball, certainly it's it's Duke uh, over NC State. Yeah. And, and you know, some of the players might be a little motivated because if, if you're hanging around the court before the game, some of the things that the state students uh, yell. Can't be repeated here. Uh, you know, I mean, Duke students yell stuff as well, but they're generally a little bit more clever. Yeah, hey, I was going to say, Duke, Duke just, kids are more clever with what they yell. They, like, study and, like, actually do research on what they're yelling, and they're coordinated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's a whole what different nerd atmosphere. <laughs> it's all, like, uh, don't they hand out, like, cheat sheets? The old, or the old they classic, uh, they do. They do, and yeah. What were you about, were you about and, to say? But, but the, yeah, the classic uh, Duke, the, the classic uh, Duke yell. I remember when Carolina had a guard named Steve Hale, who had just recovered from a collapsed lung, and they started chanting yeah. "Inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale." That's clever. Might be a little cruel, but it's clever. Yeah, I give him that. Yeah, that's Duke. <laughs> I think a lot of it, and I've always said this, and I've known it since I was a kid. We almost look like a little at NC State like they're a little brother, like they the tag along, like you're not supposed to be here. Go back to go back with mom or whatever, that kind of thing. Duke is like the the the, the cousin that got some shine that you wanted. You're you're in the same family. You respect each other. You love each other, but kind of compete against each other. I feel especially over the past six or seven years when Duke shifted to the one and done type stuff, it made that rivalry a little bit harder to. Uh, be fully engulfed in because the players weren't around long enough for you to hate them. Uh, Grayson Allen is probably the last four-year Duke kid I can think of that I just did not care for. Um, but before him, there's a whole sh- JJ Redick, you know, all the way back to Leitner and you know, all the way back to the beginning of the case stuff. 
Um, th that doesn't exist anymore. Like, I don't really, there's not a kid on Duke's roster right now where I'm like, I hate that kid. <laughs> like, I don't like that kid. And with State, I've never hated the players. I've just hated the idea of them, <laughs> like, like their existence, just them being there. And I think the thing that bothers me the most is that uh, that they feel like they are on our level and they feel slighted when we feel like they're not. And I'm like, but you haven't won anything like you haven't won anything in 30 years. So 30 plus going 40 years now. Now I'm sitting there counting it out. So I think that's the disconnect. I don't think NC State could be or is not currently on the same level as a, a Duke in rivalry wise. Um, now, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to give away the exact uh, media Wi-Fi password, but let's just say it, uh, 1983 is involved in, in it, which kind of tells you something. <laughs> I will say shout out to Kevin Keats because um, maybe with the changes in the transfer portal stuff, this might actually extend his life at NC state. Cause I think this is tailor made for him. Cause that's kind of how he was building teams in Wilmington, right? Like he was kind of getting guys to transfer over and that kind of way. Now that you can really do it and you can do it at a bigger platform at NC state. Maybe this is an opportunity now for him. Um, I will say before we get out of here though, I wanted to get your, your, your thoughts real quick on how college sports are, are changing. Um, the news today, of course, and yesterday, Nick Saban retiring uh, from Alabama um, he's not a college coach, but Bill Belichick retiring from or getting or moving on from the Patriots, uh, Pete Carroll moving on from the, the Seahawks. And I'm putting it in the same category of I feel like all this started when Roy retired and Kay retired and you started getting these uh, Bayheim retires. And you start getting these legends, these guys that have been around 40, 50 years retiring from the game. Who do you look at right now in the ACC? that's best equipped to kind of carry the torch going forward because we're seeing an exodus of like championship level coaching on multiple platforms in college sports right now. And I think it's affecting the sports. So like in the ACC right now, who do you see? Give me a guy or two that you can look at and be like, okay, that's going to probably be the next K or that's the next Dean or that's the next, you know, guy that's going to, help take the, the league, the next Volvano, the next name brand that they're going to start to advertise as, you know, such and such and his team taking on blah, 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 ACC, yada, yada, yada. Is there anybody like that in the ACC right now? Not really. I mean, you might throw out Tony Bennett because he's won a national championship and he's, he's the only one in the league, right? Long yeah. time. But uh, Leonard Hamilton, I mean, he, he looks like he's 45, but he's 70. Uh, but I guess Leonard Hamilton would be the – Dean of uh, ACC coaches right now. Uh, and, you know, had it, had it not been for the pandemic, uh, having forcing the cancellation of the tournament that season, he might have might have a national championship. So it probably That's is Leonard Hamilton, but who knows how much longer he's going to be. Long. Leonard Hamilton is 70 plus, isn't he? Yes. 71. I know he don't look it, but he's 71, 72. No, he definitely, like definitely doesn't look it. And no, uh, <laughs> and he seems he seems to uh be like a magnet to seven one guys. Dude, Florida State keeps like four of them. <laughs> every every year. Every year. There's like four dudes on the squad that's seven foot tall. I'm like, how does he keep doing this? Uh Jim Laranega in Miami. 
he's over 72, I think. Uh, so you're, you're seeing some of those guys going to get ushered out and the guys like, uh, I don't know, maybe a Steve Forbes at Wake. He's got a personality. Hubert, of course, Shire at Duke. Kevin Keats has got a personality at NC State. Uh, Tony Bennett at this point will be the only person in the ACC with a ring, which is nuts when you say it out loud. Um, but I think the ACC is in good hands in basketball when it comes to that. Uh, and I think the ones, especially like Shire and Davis and Keats, I think they specifically are going to be able to navigate this NIL transfer portal world of college basketball better than a lot of other coaches because they've had time to kind of get ready for it and plan for how they want to do it. And uh, it was either Duke or Carolina. They were one of the first ones when the, the rule got announced that they set up like a like a whole department to handle NIL or whatever for their athletes. And I think Carolina was the first school that made it where the athletes could use the Carolina brand with their NIL to increase their value and that kind of thing, which would increase people coming to Carolina to play sports and that kind of thing. So they just kind of wrapped their arms around it and was like, go the, the Saban uh, retirement from, uh, from yesterday in particular to me kind of shouted out. He don't want any parts of that. He don't want anything to do with this NIL college football money transfer stuff going everywhere. Um, I'd read a story that he, there was a wide receiver. It was like a top five wide receiver that wanted to come to Alabama but he wanted a certain amount of money and Saban was just like, no, we're not paying you that because if I pay you that, how do I coach you? You know, at that point, like literally I wouldn't, be, you'd be making as much as some of my assistants do. And he ended up going someplace else. And a lot of people were like, uh, you know, maybe that might've cost him a national championship last year, but I've kind of thought all year, this was his last year. It just kind of felt like it in terms of, it was, it was similar to what Roy was doing his last year where he didn't say he was leaving, He's kind of caught the vibe that it was near the end. Like he was just waiting the clock out, kind of. Uh, I'm so glad that Saban did it like this instead of like K and come back next year for like a farewell tool or whatever. I think if K could do that over again, I don't think he would have did that. I think he would have just did it like Roy and just ended it and been done with it. But uh, I wanted to put that in here that respect to Nick Saban, uh, respect to the, these, these legendary coaches that we've lost over the past four or five years to retirement. I don't think we all realized the, the 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 suction of talent that has gone out of the coaching pool in the past half uh, half decade, and I'm just curious if we're going to get that back or, or if it's here already and we don't know it. Yeah, time will tell which uh, coaches uh, fill those uh, voids. Uh, you probably might be some coaches that you don't guess will. Uh, another 10, 15 years, uh, it could be somebody like Shire. It could be somebody like Hubert Davis. You never know. Um, so uh, so Carolina takes on uh, Syracuse. Syracuse on Saturday. Anything real quick uh, you want to give for that? Any key to that game uh, before we get out of here? Hey, at least you won't have to prepare for the zone defense this time. Yeah. Well, although Carolina seemed like they were the only team in the country that kind of knew how to play against it. It felt like we were the only ones. You just have to put a dude at the, the foul line pretty much, a post at the power, and have a guy behind the, that second line that he can pass it to or shoot from there. And that seemed to be the key that Roy figured out. Um, but yeah, I don't know a whole lot about Syracuse this year. It'll be the first time I've seen him, but it's at, it's at the Dean Dome. Uh, I don't know. Let me get a time real quick. It's a noon, noon game. Oh, it's another noon game. And uh, yeah. our buddy Tyler Zeller told us last episode that noon games are kind of hard to, to get up for, especially if you're the home team, because you're still kind of in your routine a bit. Um, you're right. It's 12 noon on ESPN. And then they've got Louisville at home on i think that's a wednesday 
Nine and, o'clock. And, and fortunately, a nine o'clock start. Yeah. <laughs> we all these late starts, nine o'clock start on ACC Network and then at Boston College next Saturday on CW Network. So we'll probably be back on. Uh, I'd imagine before that Louisville game, I would think we'll probably be back on by there. But that way we can recap the Syracuse game. We may have a surprise in terms of a uh, third host from a former Carolina player. We're trying to get that locked down right now. So uh, may have that on as well. But spread the word about us. Believe in Hills Hoops. If you're a Tar Hill fan or ACC Hoops fan, you can definitely find us on the Believe Podcast Networks. Uh, the video can be found either on the Tar Hill Tribune YouTube page or on the Tobacco Road YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash at Tobacco Road Sports Radio. Um, these are up at least once a week, and uh, we'll give you everything you need to know about Carolina hoops. But um, So we'll get out of here. Again, Carolina taking on Syracuse Saturday at one, or excuse me, 12 noon uh, at the Dean Dome, and we'll come back for a recap for that sometime early next week. So for R.L. Dynam, this is Desmond Johnson. You've been watching and listening to Believe and Heels Hoops on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by Bet Online.